Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Helicaster Jane Show airs Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Eastern. The podcast always available online at helicasterjane.com. You got married. You had kids. How old were you when you got married and how old when you had your kids, your daughters? I was, I got married at 34, uh, and I'd been living together with the, the same man for seven years. We just kind of never got around to getting married. And then I gave birth relatively late at 38 and 40. I like to say like a National Geographic turtle washing up on the beach with her last leathery eggs. I pushed them out almost under the wire. <laughs> You say slithery eggs? Who says slithery eggs? Only writer, performer, radio personality, Sandra Singlo. That's who. Hi, and welcome to the Helicaster Jane Show. I am Helicaster Jane. Thank you so much for tuning in. You ain't heard nothing yet. Because today on the Helicaster Jane Show, it's women on fire. In the first half hour, joining me at my table is the outrageous Sandra Singlo. And in the second half hour, the always hysterical Animal Courage. Hold on to your hats. You are in for a power surge. But first, the Alicaster Jane Show is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audibletrial.com forward slash The Hallie Caster Jane Show. And remember, The Hallie Caster Jane Show is always available online at HallieCasterJane.com and a host of venues including iHeartRadio, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Sandra Singlow is a contributing editor to The Atlantic, host of the syndicated radio show, The Lowdown, on science, and has also been a regular commentator on NPR's Morning Edition, PRI's This American Life, and other public radio programs. She's performed two solo shows off-Broadway, and she is the author of five previous books, including her 2008 memoir, Mother on Fire. Her latest book is the New York Times' most notable book of 2014, The Mad Woman in the Volvo, My Year of Raging Hormones. Truly a laugh-out-loud tale of a tumultuous journey through midlife that defines a generation. Let's talk. 
this is my first. This is where I want to start with you. I want to thank you, first of all, for all the middle-aged women of the world, for this really <laughs> hilarious, honest, poignant, informed. That's me. It's so nice to know we're not alone, right? Absolutely. And that's yeah. important. And we're not really crazy, or as Freud might have said not so long ago, by the way, hysterical. Right. But right. did you write this book, The Mad Woman and the Volvo, My Year of Raging Hormones, for your sisters out there? The 48 million. And this was a statistic I did not know until I read your book. 48 million, one in two, who will be menopausal by 2015? Did you write it yeah. for us? Did you write it for you to figure out what the hell was going on in this menopause escapade? Talk to me. Well, I when I started going through this, you know, and, and yes, indeed, it was a magazine article. My editor was trying to sign me on menopause, and I said, I do not want to write about menopause. I'm 46. What would I know about it? And then he, yeah, he gave me these amazing statistics that next year, almost one in every two American women will be menopausal, and in fact, over 50% of all American women will be 45 and up. So the majority of us are 45 and up as, as of next year. You know, and I, I would say, yeah, I, I, someone should write about that, but I can't because I'm too tired and bloated and angry and forgetful. <laughs> what does this have to do with me? So I found when I started going through this, and it happened to me, you know, as described in the book, that I'm just driving on the freeway in the afternoon in an ordinary day, figuring out a shopping list for dinner, as we all do, always a little bit later in the day than we really intended on it. And then suddenly, I just was hit with this incredible dark mood of not being able to cope with even going to Trader Joe's and parking was too much. And I pulled over by the side of the freeway and just started jaggedly weeping and crying. So when your hormones start to go, that's no small thing because we're all made up of hormones and hormones make up our personality and our energy level and our cycles. And that, that's a really important thing to keep in balance. And I just didn't know if I was going nuts or what. And then someone told you, a friend of mine said, oh, you know, if you missed a period, you could be going into menopause. And perimenopause is the time that leads up to that. So when I tried to look for books on the subject, as I say in the book, you know, instead of like a fanged Medusa head on the cover, a woman screaming at you or something that really looks like menopause, there's always like a flower, like a poppy or a daisy and a stethoscope. And it's all straight medical advice. It's all just avoid alcohol, sugar and caffeine and you'll be fine. And for many of us, that's all that gets us through a day is some conversation. <laughs> Isn't that relevant. the truth? So it's almost like in treating, quote unquote, treating women, they put more and more things on your chore list of and take plenty of walks and do your stretches and drink water. And there's more and more things on your to-do list to keep yourself healthy. And it was just too much. So I wrote the book that I wish I would have had of just girlfriend to girlfriend boots on the ground, just saying what our days are really like. And I called it the, the mid-afternoon sort of mood plunge, which is partially, you know, Christiane Northrup in The Wisdom of Menopause talks about it, that about four in the afternoon, your blood sugar and serotonin are plummeting. And that typically aligns with carpool hour, when moms are picking up their kids, when you hear their screamy voices, when you now are going to grocery shop last minute for dinner, and it just is a terrible time of day. So I, I think a lot of things that we experience aren't often really just discussed, but these small details of our day are, are huge, huge things that affect us mood-wise on a daily basis. Can I go back with you a little bit, just a little bit about who you really are? <laughs> who is this woman I'm talking to? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's let's I, talk about I this. I am Tell a writer. Yes. I think this is my sixth or seventh book. I can't recall. And they've all been you know, semi, as we call them, semi-autobiographical. I've also been on public radio, sort of NPR Morning Edition, This American Life, so sometimes my voice will be familiar 
to people if they listen to public radio, they may have heard me once or twice. And I've also done what one person shows, like stage shows off Broadway and beyond that, you know, typically come out of my books or my books come out of the shows. So it's sort of all one sort of cloud of semi-autobiographical material. And this is really incredible. You're, you're a physicist. I mean, right? That's what you got your degree? I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I have my BS in physics from Caltech in 83. And, and now I also host, although I did not go into physics per se, I host The Lowdown on Science, which is a daily radio science minute syndicated, I think, on 140 stations and, and so, beyond. And, and it's just your, your one-a-day capsule of science. So, Sandra, witty, witty, can but, I tell you something? Yeah. You're the only funny physicist I know. <laughs> Well, you know, there's like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Well, he's not funny. He's he's out there. Yeah, but he's not funny. You are funny, honey. You are a funny, funny, funny girl. I mean, oh, my God. It's so true. It's so true. So anyway, so you you got married. You had kids. How old were you when you got married and how old when you had your kids, your daughters? I was, I got married at 34, uh, and I'd been living together with the the same man for seven years. We just kind of never got around to getting married. And then I gave birth relatively late at 38 and 40, I like to say, like a National Geographic turtle washing up on the beach with her last leathery eggs. I pushed them out almost under the wire. And so what happens in the book is at 46 is, is the average age for the onset of perimenopause. And that's when sort of levels start to fluctuate. I, I had been a public school advocate with my other mother friends. We were very inspired in Los Angeles to sort of, instead of avoiding our urban public schools, to sort of taking them back. We were throwing, you know, political rallies. We learned to drive RVs. Once you learn to drive an RV, it's all over. Uh, And then we decided, well, we know how to drive RVs. We're full of adventure. Let's go to Burning Man to see the art. And I don't know if you or your listeners know what Burning Man is, but it's this pagan festival in the desert with nudity and hallucinogenic drugs. That was not why we were going. We were going to see the art. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But... True, Scout's honor. I believe you. Believe. At, you know, and, and this thing happens to describe the book that and my longtime manager as a platonic friend came along to drive the RV with us women. And he'd been my friend for 10 years and my business partner. And something came down in the desert well, where everybody started spilling out this truth syrup, something about being in the desert. And it's kind of like, and suddenly I turned to him and go, oh my God, it's you who I love because we're always together. These parallel you know, marriages where our spouses would travel a lot. And then we embarked in this sort of tumultuous midlife affair, like two married people with children, it, 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 I, I, it would, would be the last thing that I would have ever thought of that I would have ever done. But when you're sort of that age and what's happening also when you're sort of entering sort of perimenopause, menopause, it, it can be for some people like a second adolescence because the hormone rushes that are happening are menopausal women because they're not fertile. Their hormone levels return to that of a preteen girls, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, well, so definitely. it just was a second adolescent and mad rush and, and just a mess and a disaster and a blow up and everybody's families blew apart. We were kicked out of our homes and then he moved back home and left me alone. Oh yeah, he returned to his marriage. So it was really the biggest disaster you could construct for yourself. They used to call in the old days, I don't know if they still do, I don't think we call this anymore. They used to call menopause the change. Right. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> but there's some reality to that, I hate to admit. God knows. Was that your first menopausal symptom? The great thing about menopause is it makes us kind of look at all of a woman's life sort of in a different way, which is a roundabout way of circling back to your question. Because in 1900, you know, the average U.S. citizen's lifespan was 47 years old. So, you know, you could say most menopausal women were in fact dead. <laughs> 
was great. But as of now, we live to almost 90, and our oldest citizen is a 116-year-old woman. You know, and we're only fertile that middle 25 to 30 years, that middle third of our lives. So in fact, as women, most of our lives, we're not making eggs. That's not what we're mostly up to. So menopause isn't the change. In a way, fertility is the change in the middle. When that estrogen cloud comes down and you start being driven to nurture people and bond with people and care for them and cut up their little sandwiches and pull their little socks, even though they could do it all themselves, like a woman comes under the fertility cloud that actually changes her from herself. And then when menopause comes down, she kind of changes back to what she was before the fertility cloud came down. So that's a really different way of thinking about it. But scientifically, again, the hormone levels are returned to those who were preteen girls. And now when women turn 50, they may have not almost had their lives ahead of them, but maybe that they still have a couple decades to go and their lives will take on a totally different meaning. And I think that in terms of symptoms, it, it's it's about hormones that are wired also to our brains, not just our bodies, to our brains, our memory, our moods. It may not be any one thing that is the beginning to set off this path. I, I certainly remember, you know, it's kind of on the one hand, just blowing up my marriage at 46 and going to burning bed. But, but I know that there was something in my early 40s that I had started to see. It's kind of like in our 30s, we were, you know, getting married, settling down, having our kids, retiling our bathrooms correctly for the first time, learning how to take care of over your furniture. We were really kind of like homesteading and being sort of more materially based. But in our 40s, me and my girlfriends, it's kind of like when our children entered school, some energy level was running higher already. You know, in, in terms of our public school organizing, we would throw rallies, we would make posters, we would dance on the street. I mean, something was already in process of change in my 40s, which is partly a life change, partly may have something to do hormonally. So it's sort of a mix of things of what is first exact thing. Is it just a little hormone flip that made you do that? I think it's all sort of combined. You know, we were talking off air and and you said, are you willing to talk about your experience? Because, you know, a lot of women aren't. You wrote this book and uh-huh. you want, right? I'm, I'm uh-huh. happy to. I have to tell you, I, when I had my first hot flash, I thought I was dying. I had no idea. Really? Perimenopause. Who knew? Nobody ever said really? the word. Nobody ever said the word perimenopause to me ever in my entire life. Ever. No gynecologist, no mother, no nothing. So I had this flash. And, I, this, and, and then, you know, a few in succession. And then I went, oh, I must be dying. I made an appointment with the doctor. Nobody was more stunned than I was to, to find out that I was in perimenopause. Oh, my God. And you know what? That experience, I've heard that so many times from women. That's why I love your yeah. book. Yeah. No, and it's, it's um, education. And how old were you when you got that first hot flash? Very young, very young, very young. I oh right, yeah. because well, perimenopause can start as early as in your thirties, in the last four to fifteen years. So it like it, yes, and and women write me yeah that they have actually small children and they're in their thirties and they're they already want to sort of kill their kids. Yeah, in I mean, various it's, way. They, not really, not really, but but yeah, <laughs> like whoa. <laughs> but the thing is, when you factor in, I mean, being a woman these days it is very challenging, and we, we rarely really confront it. And, you know, one of my favorite statistics is that today an average full-time working mother spends more time per week with her kids than a 1950s stay-at-home mother. Is that true? It is. Wow. Because, you know, in the old days, you know, mom was making the brisket for dinner and you come home from school and you get on your bike, you ride around the neighborhood with your friends on your bikes, unsupervised, until 7 p.m., Walter Cronkite dinner time, whatever <laughs> it was. And then in the weekends, you do the same thing. But now with the overparenting, the, you know, the lessons and the soccer and the ballet and the dance and the math tutoring and the SAT tutoring, 
it's like, yes, we're, we're sort of now much more hyper-involved with our kids. We also work. We also try to keep our marriages fresh. And we also are trying to save the world as, as women through making sure that we buy locally sourced, organically grown vegetables and home cook a meal for our family every night so that we support our local farmers and fight diabetes and obesity. Like We're doing so many things all at the same time. And so when you start to crack under the pressure, are you going to book it's a good thing because it just makes you stop and look at everything going, and I'm taking care of my 92-year-old yeah, dad. Yeah. And, you know, women have so much on their plates. It's unbelievable. I get you. I'm doing the same with it. my mother. Absolutely. I totally understand what you're saying. And and I think that there is a new component to this, which you certainly raise in the book, what you call Generation Triple M or middle-aged moms in middle, yeah. menopause. Our, our mothers were not middle-aged, number one, and they didn't have all these things going on at the same time because it's just a matter of when it hit. You had children late, so your kids are in menopause in their own way with their coming of age, you know, hormone thing. Exactly. I mean, it's exactly. crazy. Yeah, I mean, that, the timing and, and is think, all screwed up right now. It is, and Christiana Northup in The Wisdom of Menopause, which is a great book, but it is 700 pages long, so not many people always get through all of it. I have, so we're kind of trying to boil it down perhaps a little bit shorter, but then in her generation, you know, it's more of a boomer. I'm, I'm sort of a very on the tail end of the boom. So it's kind of like when menopause can happen sort of at a better time, because let's say you're in your late 40s, you had your kids earlier, so they're up and out, and your husband is let's say 65 and is in retirement so it's not everything happening at once where my kids are 12 and 14 so it's kind of like we're all going through hormonal storms at the same time you know while my father is still alive because right. my parents live older and older so you're right a lot is going on and we work and we work and we work absolutely I get it absolutely I couldn't agree with you more and I think that's just such an essential point because I think women need to put that in their little heads when it starts to happen and say to themselves forgive yourself can you find a place to you know lighten up the load a little bit, which you certainly learned how to do. Some of your experiences, Sandra, were absolutely hilarious. Probably not so funny to you at the time, but I'm laughing my head off when I'm reading this book. I mean, you're freaking out over the death of your kid's hamster and it doesn't even live with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is maybe another error that I don't have another hamster living with me when they go back and forth. I don't know. But I think going to the question of like, how women have so many things on their plate. It's like somehow, and this is 50 years since Betty for Dan, it was supposed to be easier and better. But I think because women are marketed to so heavily or women's magazines, et cetera, that we somehow, I don't know, I feel like I should have Martha Stewart's help. Like, I am looking now, I'm sitting in my bedroom, I'm looking at a volcanic pile of laundry of my own. It's kind of like, but that is natural because I'm running around all day parenting and working and grocery shopping and this and that. But we still have these images of these perfect homes, perfect cars, perfect whatever, and perfect bodies, too. Oh, I mean, well, let's get into that. The other day and I felt fat jiggle on my upper arms and I, I thought, what? Is that the tritasmus? What muscle is that? And should I be working it out? <laughs> <laughs> you know, or my shins are dry. I have dry shins. I must get cream for that because the beauty that, you know, it's, it's, it's way too much. One of your great lines in this, because you, you do take on the issue of middle age, burgeoning bulge, if you will. Okay, let's call it that. You, by the way, who are the queen of quips. This is what she said, guys, on this. She said, I comfort myself with the knowledge that I will always be four years younger than Madonna if 40 pounds heavier. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, it's a mixed blessing. It's a mixed <laughs> blessing, but uh, I it's mean, it's true. Just, you know, with women who have always had issues about weight, and particularly in our time when everybody is so thin and thin is in, this is an issue. No, no doubt about it. And yeah. you tackled it. How did you tackle it? Well, when you go into the perimenopause thing, like I, I have never had really a really great eating schedule of kind of like I will sort of bop along, then I'll have like too much wine, and then I'll like cut back and eat the cheese and like I'll go and bend it and then and then typically if I basically took about three days and just had some coffee and then didn't eat anything till five o'clock and then ate dinner, I would be fine again. I mean, you know, we all have these wacky little things that we do or some women wait until five o'clock to eat just so they can keep all their fifteen hundred calories, calories yeah. into one meal that tastes good. <laughs> I mean, how nuts is this though? Right, so, but is this yeah. crazy? And but then you you find uh, you have forty five or over that you start doing the same things or even exercising a bit more, you feel this little tire around your waist and this belly fat that never seems to go away. And of course, the book I described how I and my male partner go on the zone diet at the same time and join a gym at the same time. And I even must eat less than him because I don't get as many calories. So I'm strictly adhering to it. I'm like, I don't dare put even ketchup on a teaspoon of ketchup because it may have carbs in it. You know, I've counted the carbs and ketchup. And so we do the same thing. And then he even goes off it. And at the end of two months, he has like lost 25 pounds and I've gained three. <laughs> and then, and then, God forbid that the men start giving you advice about, you know, why it's been so effortless for them and as opposed for you, you know. And then, and then like, you want to kill. Five times a week and you work, work out twice a month. And he said, well, yeah, but when I work out, I work out really hard. It's like, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to throw something at you now. And, and many of these books, the menopause books, recommend that now you must eat many small meals in a day as a woman. And, you know, as soon as you're awake, your blood sugar stays even. And first that sounds good, but then you realize the, the meals are like two slivered almonds. Two unsalted slippers. It's like, what? That's a meal. It's not a meal. So I then tried to do a zone diet thing where it's all about non-fat Greek yogurt, that you can eat that with impunity. And so you start kind of like putting curry powder in the Greek yogurt or <laughs> you start, or putting strawberries in it or like mix you go with Splenda. You just start doing everything with the Greek yogurt. And then but my weight will still go up. So what I do now, and it's not really to recommend to anybody, but I would get so just the seesawing, I would get so depressed about it, I must admit, to, I have gone to Rosalys and I have like stretchy mom jeans. <laughs> and there's stretch denim. Why we would wear regular denim, I don't know. It's very unforgiving. Actually, it's because the Industrial Revolution made it easier for factories to cut pants that don't fit women, but it's easier for them to cut. So I, I'm stretching mom jeans. I do not have a scale anymore, and I just do my best. Oh, God, girl, you don't have a scale anymore. I get on the scale like 40 times a day because if it goes up like by one ounce, I'm flipping my cork. And you can eat two almonds, not not this girl. No way. No way. That, that's, that's 10 I, pounds of fat to me. I mean, I'm on pure protein these days. Nothing else and a little salad. Pure protein, a little salad. I know. It's no, pathetic. And I have that, that incident in my book where I hate to go to the gynecologist because I can't face <laughs> stepping on the detective scale and seeing a number. And then I go, I'm crying and I go and they weigh me and it's horrible. And then she says, oh, Sandra, no, Sarah. Uh, I meant to call it Sarah. I go back into the waiting room, cry a lot more. I think I'm losing water weight. Come in and they're supposed to be on the same scale. It's a pound and a half more. So I'm kind of like, oh, yes, I 
if I cry, my tears make me fat. It's like, yes, it's like you're on pure protein. It's like we can actually eat nothing, and then our body will go into hunger over and start making fat, you know, even if we don't eat. So It's a sad tale. I have to tell you something. I don't know if you remember Linda Evans from Dynasty. Yeah. She was on the show. Oh, I love this woman to death, and she's very, very honest, and she was probably one of the most iconically beautiful women ever, right? And she says yeah. to me, aging is not for the faint of heart. You said one of her great quips again. You've got to read this book because she's just filled with these just hilarious things. She says, the magical payoff for never having been beautiful when young is now I have few regrets and more money. But Sandra, you know what I wanted to say to you? I want to say, this is weird. Why is it that men, the more lines they get, the deeper the lines are etched in their faces, the sexier they seem to be, and then there's us. Life just isn't fair to women. I don't know. What's your thought? Well, uh... Yeah, well, you know, I mean, and I think that maybe what our culture has made, I mean, and, and it's, I think also it's amazing how men, let's see, certain male actors, and, and you know, I love William Shatner. I really, he has so such confidence. He couldn't be wearing a tighter jacket with his price lights <laughs> up, and he just, <laughs> you know, he doesn't care. So, you know, I, I guess men are less, they, they're not less realistic, and that would be a quote about their appearance. They're actually much more fine with whatever's going on with them. But we're more um, fine think, also with what's going on with them. That's what ticks me off. Yeah, that you know, they're big bellies or whatever. Fine. You know, nothing, nothing yeah. bothers them. And I think for women, I think there, there's certainly a lot of Botox and stuff that's being done today, many cosmetic procedures, and they're getting better and better and more tailored and more natural looking, and I think that's all fine. I've had, like, my eye bags done at 36. Yeah, why not? I famously wrote in my other book about, because just since the age of 24, I just always looked like either Abraham Lincoln <laughs> or Bert Lahr of the cowardly line for the Wizard of Oz. Just the way it was. I always look tired. At 25, people would say, oh my God, you look tired. I go, I just had 14 hours of sleep. I just, and that was simply the way it was. I just had that kind of, the fat under the thing kind of, and then in my 30s, I started performing a lot. I started getting photographed for a lot more things. I'd see myself in kind of like the local news weekly and it really just bothered me that I always look tired. So I had the fat tipped out of them in a lunchtime laser procedure at 36 and it was fine. I, I never thought about my eye bags again. In fact, I overcompensated because I thought I looked so great. I started grooming myself like less carefully. <laughs> I don't have those eye bags. I don't have to brush my hair. It's like I can wear like So I mean, part of it is, this will sound funny. This will sound very trivial, but how, because I, I'm farsighted. So when I look in the mirror, I, I don't see very closely what's going on there. Anyway, it is when you're photographed that you see either if it's part of your job to be photographed or if people take family photos and then put them on those horrible Picasso things so that you can <laughs> see all the shots, even the unflattering ones, where you go, oh, my God, that women might start to think about having something done and they can't. It's up to them. But then if you're in a relationship where everything's fine and, like, I, I don't know to what everybody worries about it the same way. I mean, how is it, how is it for you? Do you... I please. Are I'm in the public eye. Are you kidding? Or? Are you kidding? Are you? I, I, I'm in the public eye like you are. I mean, I'm out there, right? My face is everywhere, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of cute, or was. So you know, the older I get, the less <laughs> cute that I am, and it's freaking me out, right? And the eyes. And by the way, will you email me your doctor's name because I'm in the, in the looking for one right now? I mean, no, come on, it's it's a nightmare, and I'm not in a relationship right now, and all of this right. all of this oh, is yeah. happening right now, and I'm going. Never will I be in a relationship again. My gorgeous little body. What happened? <laughs> yeah. Well, although you know, you but know, that, I, that I, name I, is Hallie. I have to admit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think, though, well, okay, there's a couple of things in there. And, and one is that I have found when I've traveled around, there's always this hue and cry about women who are, like, 35 and unmarried and will they ever find a husband and those are drive big magazine articles, et cetera, et cetera. I find that many of my girlfriends, I'm at 52 who are 50 or older, are actually having new trouble at all. Okay, Cupid, I don't even want to say Tinder or whatever, like getting dates and going farther. I think there, in my neck of the woods, in Los Angeles, actually Pasadena, there's actually a lot going on, and there's a lot of men who are quite happy. They're not the conventional ones that need a 25-year-old to have relationships. And oh, that's all fine you know. and dandy. It's a matter of thinking about dating and then having to undress and then having to go through that whole nightmare again when, you know, uh, <clears throat> and everything went south. <laughs> but that's why you lie that's down. That's why you lie down, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and people are just really happy to be there, you know. It's like so. That, I mean, that's what I'm. It's my, weird. You know, kind of a little bit to my surprise, but to my happy surprise, on this journey of this book. As I've been going around, a lot of women want to talk to me really candidly about what they're up to. And often there is that group of ladies in Santa Barbara is like where they all either were still married or had dumped the husband by the late 40s because the kids were up and out. They look across the dining room table. One anecdote was then the wife said to her husband, so what's next? He gestured to the living room and said, this. <laughs> and she said, I'm divorcing you. <laughs> I, cannot, oh, I cannot spend another day. I two decades in with you, kids are up and out, but I'm done. I have my own money. I'm divorced. And, and you know, Godspeed God with you, you know, watching The Walking Dead or binge watching it or whatever you want to do. I'm going to travel and have adventures, et cetera, et cetera. They divorce their husbands and then are, are dating a lot and everyone wants sex. So, yeah. So, I don't know. It, it's all different. It's, it's all different. It's, it's, and, and with no, you know, whether stuff is going south or north or east or west, that hasn't been impediment to dating. It's being of a relaxed and fun-loving frame of mind that <laughs> makes it fun. It appears that's what they tell me. Yeah, okay, fine. You once got yourself in trouble, I have to take this as we bring this to a close, for saying the F word. And it not being oh, in, yeah. Right? I yeah. love that. I love this. So let me go with me on this for a second. So I want to get back to the fact that you did that. And I don't know about you, but the one fab thing, and that's not the F word I'm about to go into, <laughs> right? But the one fab thing, which is not that F word, the fab thing, it's when you say goodbye to estrogen, you also say hello to, I don't give a flying F. Yeah. What anybody yeah. thinks. I'm free. That and wisdom. Talk to me. Yeah. So, okay, so the the F word that it was in, in 2004, 10 years ago now, exactly, I was on KCRW, a public radio station here in Los Angeles, and I was literally doing a commentary about knitting, but I was relating to my husband at the time that was, who was playing with Bette Midler in Caesar's Palace, and I was so, so thrilled and excited that he was playing with Bette Midler. He had auditioned, he's a brilliant guitarist. I went to a concert, he was actually standing 10 feet away from her on the stage of Madison Square Garden, and I thought it was so amazing. I, it was something like, that's amazing, now I guess I'll really have to ask you. But I said, it was meant to be bleeped out. Um, it was just a complete throwaway, and those things were always bleeped because I speak sort of rhythmically and sort of quickly. It was just a technique, I'll just say it, and then you bleep it, and we had done it a couple times before, which is a very stupid way now that I know of recording it. Now, the engineer was sleep-deprived because he had a new baby, forgot to bleep it, so it ran twice <laughs> on the air in Los Angeles, let me say the F word on the air, which is one of the, you know, the 10 words you can't say, according to George Carlin, and so it's 
immediately like fired because the FCC had the big Janet Jackson wardrobe malfunction right. and Howard Stern's job. So it was my 15 minutes of dubious fame. And then I actually got my job back and went to another radio station. But that, that was that in my 40s when I had kids in preschool. And to tie it back to what you were saying with the Don't Give a Flying F, that's sort of one of the things that I end the book with. Menopause comes down and you have this cloud starts to lift and you start seeing oh my God, I am multitasking 12 things, 10 of which I don't even really like to do. And I don't know why my job to be the head of this school committee or the vote or run the thing at the office or blah. So I don't give a flying F. And now that I'm 50, I don't have to do this anymore. And some of the, <laughs> there were great things that my friends told me. The one is like my friend Deborah, I think says, you know what? I have been married for 20 years. I visited my husband's family in Philadelphia for 20 years. They hate me. Yeah, the first time they went there, they, they knocked it on the porch, the mother braced the son, bought him in, and left Deborah standing up on the freezing porch for five minutes, like, and like stuff like that would happen. As you can tell, I'm 50, I never have to see them again. I really don't. I've done it. He can go. <laughs> I don't want them anything more. <laughs> they don't have to, like, and it was, like, a really clear sort of, like, why I owe them nothing. I owe them nothing. I've done it for 20 years. <laughs> now that I'm 50, I'm going to go to the spa for the weekend, and it's perfectly fine. Well, see, there's always the good side. <laughs> <laughs> there's always a good there's side. There's always you know, a good of, side. Yeah, and getting dinner on the table, you know, and then sitting down and talking with people, which I hate to talk while eating. I think it's like rather just eat in like cold cave in the Arctic in the afternoon at four alone with some vodka. That's what I would prefer to do. You know, it's, it, there's so many shoulds that women have and just to let them go. As long as you don't put your head as a mother or a wife or like, so you don't put your head in the oven and you've done your job. I've been speaking with Sandra Singlo author of The Madwoman in the Volvo, My Year of Raging Hormones, by way of W.W. W. Norton and Company. For more information about Sandra Singlow, visit her website at sandrasinglow.com. Actress, comedian, writer, Annabelle Gerwich is the author of You Say Tomato, I Say Shut Up. Now a play, receiving its third national tour, and Fired, which became an acclaimed documentary and Showtime comedy special. Annabelle gained a loyal comedic following during her years hosting Dinner and a Movie on TBS, and has been a regular commentator on NPR and contributor to The Nation, Moore, Glamour, Marie Claire, and a number of other national publications. Her acting credits include over 50 guest roles in shows including Seinfeld, Boston Legal, Dexter, and hosting programs on Planet Green Network, The Style Channel, and HBO. Recently, she started in the world premiere of A Coney Island Christmas at the Geffen Playhouse in L.A. And then Annabelle turned 50, becoming a statistic, one of the many Americans who every seven and a half seconds reaches the milestone, the subject of her book, I See You Made an Effort, Compliments, Indignities, and Survival Stories from the Edge of 50. Let's talk. All right, ladies. So I want to officially welcome you to the club, my hilarious girlfriend. If no one else has 50, you're an atheist, so you can't say, oh, God, I'm 50. What do you oh, say about say, turning oh, 50? Oh, God, I'm 50. Absolutely, because I'm not 50, because my intention had been to write this book, which I started when I was 49, 48, 49, and, um, and have it come out when I turned 50, and it was going to be a big party. But uh, it took me longer 
longer to write it because of the menopausal brain. So I was actually 52 when it came out, and I just turned 53, which is actually, now it's very convenient that the title is I See You Made an Effort, Compliments, Indignities, and Survival Stories from the Edge of 50. I consider the edge of 50 to be anywhere from 40 till death. Until <laughs> death, okay. So talk to me. The Maybe can't... even after. So, even after death. Even after death? I don't want to go that far. Listen, the ad campaign keeps telling us that we're not getting older, we're getting better. Are you buying it? Well, that was one of my inspirations for writing this book. I grew up in the 70s, and I remember those Clairol commercials you're not getting older, you're getting better. And as a matter of fact, I might be getting better, but I'm also getting older. Clairol, big surprise, lied to us. I, I, I started to think that it was really a canard, this whole, you know, 50 is the new 40. Actually, if you really take it all that way, then 20 is the new 10. And having a teenager, I could say that is probably true. My, my son who's 16 is like a fetus, <laughs> the brain power. But I, I really felt it was a disservice and doing a disservice to this age, which is an age that I think is something to be reckoned with. And of course, you know, it, it's not just a matter of how you look and the exterior. It's all those things that happen to you at this age, including, you know, for me, the end of fertility, which was a, a very big thing. You know, before you get to be this age, there are, you know, this is the, there are things that, that, that can still happen, you know, and that was the first, I think, and perhaps ridiculous kind of, uh, I should have known, I should have acknowledged many other finalities in my life. But, you know, that one that, well, even if I, not that I wanted to have that children, <laughs> I wouldn't have, but just that there's an end mark to something. It's a really profound thing. So, you know, this book is a, is a, is a um, collection of essays, and they're comedic essays, but I, I think, you know, at the heart of this whole book is really this, you know, this question of how do we, how do we age? How do we, how do we, how do we do that? Okay, two things. I'm looking at you, and you're adorable, and you have great hair. So thank you, Clairol, in case you were using it. I love your hair. Uh, great cut. Super. No question about it. But let's talk this menopause. You ever have a problem with that word? I do. Menopause. Who came up with menopause? Have you ever thought about that? I have. I you know, listen, that's just the, the, the tip of it. Um, in my book, if you're someone who likes footnotes and facts and research and all, you will enjoy the footnotes because what I've done is, you know, there's quite a number of things. Just speaking about the kind of lexicon, you know, of, uh, of menopause and, and the kind of, uh, not even just the word itself, but all those related words, words that, that women start to, to hear about, hormone replacement therapy and, and, um, and, and all the things that are recommended for a woman of a certain age, I track in my book all the things that are not in the Apple Dictionary, <laughs> all the things that were not in my Mac computer that just, you know, bioidentical, bioidentical, not in there, cosmeceutical. There's a billion-dollar cosmeceutical industry directed at women in menopause, not in there either. So, you know, it was just one of those sort of fun things to think about. Well, I don't know who came up with the word menopause menopause or any of these other words but they are it's like they're outside the realm of uh, men and, and and who who are the majority of programmers and uh, and I just thought that was an interesting little thing I don't like that word I mean you know and I'm not I'm not let me just say this book is not a book specifically about 
menopause. It is about this particular time in life, which, of course, is shaded by these things, of course. But um, it's, each chapter deals with a various ways that you realize your life has changed and how that, 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 how that appears. And so there's, there's a, the chapter about, you know, I do write a lot about the sandwich generation. Um, that's another one of those names. It was coined by a, a male sociologist. And that term refers to people who are, I'm not sure what year you're born. I was born in 1961, considered a tail end baby boomer, which is also a terrible phrase. <laughs> tail end? What? I'm like the ass of the baby boomers? <laughs> What? Sure. What? Um, Stop it. So uh, the sagging ass of the baby boomers, <laughs> tail end. So we are the tail end baby boomers who have had children late, statistically speaking, and we uh, have children at home, raising children at home, while we are dealing with um, middle age issues, including uh, trying to stay visible and viable as the economy, new health concerns, and at the same time, we are dealing with aging parents, so we're stretched in between, and the sandwich refers to how we're getting squeezed, and that's a terrible word for us, because I had to give up carbs. <laughs> you too. You're going to just remind me of that by talking about bread? That was a guy who came up with that phrase. I hate it. But um, I write about sandwich generation issues. My sister and I moving my parents from their home, selling our childhood home, moving them to the next place, a senior retirement facility. I deal with being the parent of a teenager while I'm hitting this age and the indignities that go along with that, trying to work at this age, the health issues. There's you know, a plethora of ways in which, I mean, there's a way in which also your brain, which you realize you're different. I, I took my son to see a concert, and, I'm, and I write this story in the book, but this was one of those first moments that I, that I realized I was becoming invisible. I looked at this lead singer, first of all. He's skinny and adorable <laughs> and so skinny, and I wasn't thinking about taking him home and having my way with him, I was thinking about taking him home and packing him nutritious snacks for the road. <laughs> the brain has changed. My brain has changed. But I also realized that in that concert situation that I was completely invisible to that band. It was a small, it was an intimate group. And in that concert, the, the band sings kind of political songs or they pretentiously believe they sing political songs the way that one can when you are that age that you're in an indie punk band traveling the country in a van. And uh, they, uh, they were charging everyone there. They were looking everyone in the eye in the audience, all these teenagers, and charging them to change the world. And I realized they can't even see me. They're not addressing me. Einstein's theory of parallel worlds was correct age has spun me into an alternate <laughs> universe you know so it, it's you know there's a I'm, I'm looking at you know this the global sense in which on in very small ways as a matter of fact you realize that your life has changed <laughs> to say the least i want to talk about the cover of this book of yours it's hilarious a pink granny pants which yeah. eerily remind me by the way of the fancy pants that i bought from my niece when she was two years uh -huh. old and uh -huh. i'm looking at the cover of your book and i'm going potty trained or incontinence <laughs> depends or what well, i want to just talk about that for a second so okay so any author you know this it's always controversial like what's going to be on your cover even though and the funny thing is is of course 
you know, this kind of cover thing is, you know, um, perhaps a little bit less of an issue now that people read on Nooks and Kindles and all the different ways they read because, I mean, that was one of the great things is that I like as a reader and as a writer is that you would walk down the street, you'd see someone reading a book, you're on the subway, you see someone reading a book and, you know, that cover... You can see what it is now. You know who knows? It's 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 it's, uh, it's there. They've turned books into um, the sex toy industry, which you you know you. Uh oh, here am I revealing this? You know you'd buy stuff and they would they put it in a unlabeled brown paper bag so <laughs> no one could see it. Now now people know that I have shopped in sex toy stores. Okay, so but so um, when they showed me this cover, I immediately hated it, and then. <laughs> The second choice that they showed me, and I'm just sure that they did this, I'm sure my publisher did this as a way of convincing me to get this cover, (laughs) was they showed me a cover with a woman with a bucket over her head. (laughs) And I thought, oh my God. I mean, you know, this book is a book really ultimately, it's an, I believe that what I'm, what I've written is an empowering book because I believe I've had enough therapy. I mean, I started out as an actress. You name the kind of therapy, I've done it. But, you know, I really believe that thing about when you can bring things, when you can bring things out into the open, it's a great way of becoming empowering. And I actually was the first person on NPR and on the CBS Morning Show and on Bill Maher's show to talk about the dry vagina. Well, I'm just making history here but so you know that was a terrible idea a bucket over the head so I was like okay let's go back to the granny panties and the the funny thing is is you know um they're funny it's funny they're granny panties the thing about them is if you look at the cover they are cute granny panties those are actually very sexy I thought so I thought so I don't know about um, sexy, but cute. But I think they're very cute, and um, they also strategically cover that area where the waistline <laughs> once was. And um, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, I never wanted to get a tattoo until I got to be this age, and I actually considered having the tattoo under new management, <laughs> right, <laughs> right uh, above my C-section scar, people. That's word I was. Oh, give me a break. You're but, such a pistol you are. Now, hush for a second. I want to ask you about something. I want yeah. to talk to you about the fact that you now live in L.A., which is the yeah. hedonistic capital of the world, but you were born and raised in Miami Beach, the mm-hmm. second, the runner-up hedonistic capital of the world. So what about plastic surgery? I want to talk to you about that. And, and do you consider it when you were 10? <laughs> do you see something, anything wrong with it? I call it a little repair work. You are listening to the Hallie Kessler Jane Show, always available online at HallieKesserChain.com. Today, I'm speaking with Annabelle Gerwich. A little repair work. Listen, you know, I write about this in, in my book with hopefully a sense of humor. It's such a strange world that we live in. I write in the book about how a friend of mine, who our friendship was based on the fact that I was always better looking than her, <laughs> not that she knew that. <laughs> but, but, I've had a few of those. <laughs> But now she's had such good work done. She's cuter than me. It so pisses me off. It's so unfair because people who didn't know us as kids, who I grew up with, like they, she's just cute. God damn it! So oh, I curse. So unfair. So here's the thing. You know, I write that 
in Los Angeles after the big earthquake hits, women unrecognizable to their own assistance will be roaming the streets looking for Botox, which if I'm smart, I will stockpile and sell out of the trunk of my car. I honestly, and you know, this is the thing. I honestly, I, I'm walking a middle road and I write about this in my book with great candor because I think one of the very confusing things about the world we live in is that there is some work that is so good now you can't even see it. So the problem is as we, Joe Public person, me, I include myself in this because I can't afford the really good work, you know, you look and you go like, oh, I want to age like this person or that person. You, you sort of look to have role models and you can't tell what people are doing because the really good stuff you can't even see. You think they're doing nothing. And I, I mean, you know, but then again, that, that asks the question. I mean, I try to be, I'm trying to be provocative in the book. I don't have answers, but who do I look to as a role model? I look to Jane Goodall. I love the, I love the work that Jane Goodall does. At the same time, when I look at her, she looks so great. I wonder what kind of sunscreen she's using. So I write about in the book all the little things that I've tried. Botox. I've tried Juvederm. I don't have any right now. I just can't afford any right now because I, I have actually liked this stuff. It can make you – does it make you look younger? No. Does it make you look better? Oh, who knows? Because the problem is it only lasts for a little while. Then it's almost worse because you go back looking older than you look to begin. It's, it's all silly, but it's – you know, we are vain creatures. Or I'm a vain creature. I'm – and it's not even – because I've been an actress. I'm just, I'm, I'm a vain person. But, you know, I'm trying to walk a middle road. And I don't subscribe to any plastic surgery shaming. And, you know, of course, no one wants to cross over to what I call monster face when you look like you've changed species. But <laughs> I, I have compassion for everyone and how hard it is to to find a way, because all these things are available, to, to negotiate. I mean, where does it end? If you start saying, oh, I would never do plastic surgery well. Are you going to dye your hair? Are you going to work out? Do you use makeup? I mean, where do you, where do you draw the line? It's a very slippery slope. And um, I do know one thing, is that I have seen the future. I've seen my mother's gobbler. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure what I'm going to be able to afford to do, because let's face it, it's, it I... I had the temerity to major in the humanities instead of the amenities. <laughs> Big mistake. Um, I am thinking I will have a little accident on a staircase. I will be walking upstairs, have an accident in the gobbler area, which will require medical attention, some emergency surgery that will be covered by my health insurance plan. One, a girl can hope. That's my plan. That's your plan. I, what's with this brain of yours? <laughs> What are you doing? Are you like you ever stopped? Does the brain ever slow down? Do you like when you go to sleep? Are you thinking funny? What the? You are a trip. I had no idea. I think that's sweet. It is a bit. No, 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 no. I meant it as a compliment. Seriously. You know, I talk to people all day long. You are like, uh, like. You're like a rapid fire. Go, 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 go. I mean, give me this brain. That's just my brain. That is just the way the brain works. That is just the. That's that's. That's my my brain. Always um, been like that. Always and always. menopause not, any effect? What what's that? And menopause any effect? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, slow it down. Cause listen, <laughs> I meditate. Oh shoot! <laughs> and, and, I, ah. and I still like this. <laughs> 
there's a chapter on meditation in my book where I just I give the inner thoughts of the world's worst meditator, which is me. Because I just I hate all these books and people who are talking about how great meditation is for your life and they're thinking these amazing thoughts. I'm meditating and I'm thinking about bread, bread that I can't eat anymore. I, you know, so. Now, and I'm um, thinking to myself, you are not the poster child for meditation. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I actually think about it. I am the poster child. Oh, you child do? You think so, huh? How's that? I'm, I'm the person who should be meditating. And, you know, I, I, listen, if I, can re- just, if I can string a sentence together, because my brain is mostly um, filled with trying to remember Internet passwords. <laughs> this is, it's a good day if I can, if I can think things. And that's. You know, that's that's what I'm trying to do is, you know, you know, find a way to write these things down and, and in a in a coherent fashion. That's 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 how I spend that's my time. That's how you spend your time. So listen to me, you're married. Yes. To actor, producer and sometime partner Jeff Kahn. Yes. I don't know how long you guys have been married. Eighteen years. That's a very all well, my <laughs> marriages put together aren't one eighteenth of that. You go, girl. And and, and and we live in Los Angeles, no um, less. Yeah, like what's the secret? But here's the deal. Aren't you glad going through all of this that you're married? Could you imagine having to go through this dating? Well, um, uh, no. Like me. <laughs> yes and no. Well, you know, um, it's so funny you say that because there's a chapter in my book about that very thing because I actually. That was one of my goals was, you know, I, I, in trying to cover all the issues that a person can face at this age, I have a number of single friends and I wanted, I know that some of my readers are not married. And so I took a class in uh, dating for women of a certain age, and that would be this age. And it was hilarious and I wanted to kill myself (laughs) Um, but I I, and and I think that my readers who are single will appreciate that and the funny thing is is uh, I I have a friend my sister recently single in her 50s has met a fabulous person they've been dating for a number of years and I believe they met on match really never no then again I write in my book about my friend Christine who's my age and uh, she, her husband left her for a woman that they met in their church marriage counseling group. <laughs> That's bad. And uh, he left her for this woman. And um, she went on match, and she was matched with two people. The first person she was matched with was her brother. And the oh. second was a homeless man who went by the name Bling Bling. <laughs> so it is a very challenging time, and I wanted to I wanted to reflect that by writing about that experience and and taking this class and writing about that world and and that was that was a really fun and and, and terrifying little excursion and and I learned how to write a, a I learned how to write a profile and pick a name on a dating site and. And then a couple of tricks, which which I wrote about in the book. And having a 16-year-old son, give or take a few at the time this was all beginning, as you were changing, <laughs> as you were morphing, <laughs> going towards that. How is that? Is that like a reflection back like, you son of a gun, I remember when I was young and wasn't that wonderful? Or is that a, geez, I don't really want to have to deal with a 16-year-old who's having his own problems because he's going through puberty. I mean, you know, it's a trippy time also, that balance with kids. It's the perfect storm. 
It's a bourbon storm. Tell He's me, got too many hormones. I don't have any. He's raging. I'm raging. There is the very limited amount of things that are allowed for the mothers of teenagers. I'm not allowed to sing. Can't make eye contact in public. Can't ask about school. Can't ask about girls. I chew too loudly. The timbre of my voice is annoying. I'm not allowed to sigh. Too old. Can't make say oi. Too Jewish. I'm not allowed to be nude within a hundred feet of him, even if the door is closed. It's a it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Does he have any pity on you at all, or or none? Um, he yeah. has so little pity and sympathy for me. Oh, and it's like, Mom, what are you wearing? Mom, okay, this was the height of it. I asked him to shoot my book video for me. And right before we started shooting, he says to me, Mom, you look like Bubby. You look like Grandma. Oh. So, he said it with so much, like, it was so not with one of his mean things he was saying that I knew that it was just true. <laughs> it was so awful. It was so... Oh, I'll share you with, with one from it. My mother takes me to the plastic surgeon, right? Single again. We got to have a little repair work. Because she takes me to the plastic surgeon, looks at me, and he goes, look, behold your future. <laughs> I was like, give me whatever you're going to give me. That's yes, hard, particularly for me. Jewish girls, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yes. true. It's so true. Annabelle, yes. you keep talking about this. You keep talking about women of a certain age. How about men of a certain age? What's the deal? Why, are we, why is it all on us? Well, it's certainly not. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about in writing this book was writing about writing material. And I do have a lot of male readers. Uh, I, writing writing about uh, the, the non-gender specific experience, which this age is as well. You know, everybody struggles with uh, the memory about, I mean, internet passwords, usernames, <laughs> the, 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 the horror of not being born into the digital uh, generation, but having, but living in that generation. It's, it's, um, you know, it, it is a challenge. I think, you know, for men, I mean, I watch my husband go through this, and I, you know, I write about this too in in our in my book about being in the middle of a marriage, more in the middle, or eighteen years into a marriage, and my husband's, I would say disdain for me, but I would say contempt might be even better. I mean, it's um, it is a, it is a, you know, it is a challenge on so many levels. The the issue of dealing with parents who are getting older is also a. It's a non-gender specific issue. And this thing that I had, you know, I had a tennis accident, which when I went to the doctor, I went to the orthopedic doctor, and he said, I, he diagnosed me as having boomeritis. And that's a medically recognized term now for having a sports injury, for exercising as though you think you are younger than you actually are. Did you kill him? I wanted to kill him. And that is something that is also something that, you know, you don't have to be a woman to have. I also have osteoarthritis. It's so much fun. So I write about my first trip to my rheumatologist. Did I ever think that I would have a rheumatologist? I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, Dr. Nuji told me that there was no cure for what I had and that it was a genetic thing. And, and you know, I mean, these are these are experiences that we have you know, whether we're men or we're women, where we know that at this point in our lives, 
the words for the rest of your life, you know, are attached to certain experiences, uh, which is where sense of humor, red wine, and a very, <laughs> and, uh, and, and good friends come in. I mean, those are three things I think that are essential at this age, having have you know i think that it's interesting when if you, particularly if you have kids you know you get really caught up in the the kid raising community when you're younger and at this age i have found one of the really essential things is to have a community of women of men of of support of people that and i say support i mean people to either hike with or exercise with or have a drink with you know just people that to have friends and also we I mean one of the um one of the things that is a great thing about being this age is I mentor a lot of people. That's really fun for me. Um, you know, you, I feel like, you know, uh, if you can do some of this, you know, um, if you can find some usefulness, that's a way of keeping, I'm being serious now, sorry, uh, but, you know, a way of keeping visible in the world. No, that's, you can be serious. Serious is good. Yep. Serious, yep. serious certainly works. And there is a serious undertone to all of this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for all the fun that we're having doing this. I'm going to bring up a name. I'm going to bring it up because I want him to come on the show if I give him PR. <laughs> our, old, our mutual, my old friend, Richard Lewis. Yeah, Richie, you were the only two people in the world to call him Richie because he has a heart attack if somebody calls him Richie. You hear that, Richie? I'm calling you Richie. I right. so relate to the, this is what he wrote uh, a blurb for your book. I so relate to this brilliant and wildly hilarious latest work by Annabelle Gurich. I love your name. That sadly, I think there is middle-aged women's body trying to break out of my own. So maybe it is a men's <laughs> trip as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, um, no, I don't think he's going to, you know, Richard calls himself, Richard Lewis calls himself the Prince of Pain. So he's not going to mind if I say, if you want to talk about, you know, uh, someone who talks about the, the indignities that one experiences, all you have to do is look to his writing. He's he's the king of that. So I know he relates to so many things in, in my book and my friend Bill Maher. I mean, actually, the funny thing is, is half of the blurbs from my book were from men. Bob Odenkirk from Breaking Bad. I loved it. Bill Maher, because it 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 affects everyone. You know, I mean, this is the is this is the indignity of of aging. You know, um, Mike Nichols yeah, passed away, lot, yeah. and um, what a, a, a amazing inspiration for so many people. I. not just me personally, but it's funny because it reminded me of something. When I read that news, I was reminded of when I went on CBS Early Morning and I was having a conversation with Charlie Rose about this book. And he said, he said, you know, Annabelle, my friend Mike Nichols said to me when I was a younger man, Charlie, there will come a day when women on the street won't notice you anymore and if they do stop you it's not to get your number because they want to date you they stop you because they want direction <laughs> and so it affects everyone this idea of in, uh, of invisibility yeah, yeah um and how we don't want to become invisible i you know i i thought about that gail she has a wonderful quote about being invisible at 50. Go look that up. She's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks, and I can't wait to talk to her about that because that I carried that around for mm-hmm. a long time, her quote, and I wish I could say it to you. Last thing is you've survived 50. I have survived. <laughs> You're on your way to, oh, my real God. I can't, 
I can't can, say it. Do you hear me? Take me there yet? <laughs> I've made my peace with it. Do I need to go there? Yes. No, I, I, I'm not even. I can't even uh, uh, say it. So, but you know what? In the words of Boris Chevalier, at least that some people think it came from him. Old age isn't so bad when you consider the alternative. Correct. Absolutely. Which is why I always say when I do an event, I'm going to a lot of cities. I'm on another tour. As I stand here on my good ankle, <laughs> I'm so grateful to be here. <laughs> and does anybody have an aspirin? <laughs> Thanks, Miss Annabelle. You're a trip. Thank you, I think. Thank you, I think. I'll give you I think. I've been speaking with actress, humorist, and best-selling author Annabelle Gerrich. Her latest book, I See You Made an Effort, Compliments, Indignities, and Survival Stories from the Edge of 50 by way of Blue Rider Press, a member of the Penguin Group. For more information on Annabelle Gerwich, visit her website at AnnabelleGerwich.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to the L.A. Cancer Jane Show, a production of Resac LLC. Associate producer, Suzanne Probst. Music by Tony Rosales Jazz. Visit HallieCasserJane.com.